The other one is I think they need to do some hand-eye coordination. So a couple of things. You can try to learn how to juggle. You know, go on YouTube and find a how to juggle video and just learn how to juggle. Start with two balls, which really isn't juggling, but it's a start. Then see if you can add the third ball. If you don't want to do that and you want to make it more sport specific, juggle off the wall. You know, take two tennis balls, throw it, transfer, and see if you can work your hand-eye coordination just by throwing the ball off the wall. I think that the hand-eye coordination is so laxed and so, like, missed because of how much time they spend with their thumbs playing on video games and playing on their phones and they're missing their, their regular hand-eye coordination. And Welcome back to the Baseball Playground. This is your host, Jacob Odell. Matt McGowan. And today we have a super dope guest. His name's Coach Steinman. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard about him uh, throughout all of his social media platforms. And man, this guy has done a lot and is very knowledgeable in what his skills are throughout baseball and softball. So Coach, give us a little introduction. All right, well first, nice to meet you guys. I'm Coach Dave Steinman. I'm from New Jersey. I'm a high school health and phys ed teacher. And I've been coaching and teaching in the high schools now for 13 years. Um, I played in college and then I quickly switched right over to the coaching side of things where I was an assistant varsity coach and I've kind of just within the last couple of years just kind of dove into the training side of things, particularly on the infield training and, and just kind of found a little niche and I've just kind of researched, researched, researched and just came up to where I am now. Yeah, no, your your infield training videos and and for those that haven't followed, it's a must follow if you're if you really want to uh you know, dedicate that craft of of getting better and and just um I mean, some of the infield stuff you do is is out, outstanding. Where where do you think you get the best information um maybe outside of of your page? Like do you do you follow somebody in particular that like I know Ron Washington is a great you know, a great follow and, and he does, you know, his Ron Washington workouts and, and infield drills. What do you think also uh, helps these young players that, that want to develop? I mean, if you're talking about like the, the true professional level, the guys you guys see on TV at Ron Washington, Coach Ron Washington does, a, does an exceptional job. Uh, Coach Kai from the San Francisco Giants, he's a favorite of mine. I just love the way he teaches and coaches and breaks down the movements and the way he articulates his message. I think he's exceptional. And I also like Coach Perry Hill from the Mariners. I think his six Fs kind of really breaks down the play into individual aspects. And like when you're coaching a player that it's new to, having something so simple for them to grab onto helps them understand the skills and kind of progress them along the way. If you're talking somebody that you wouldn't see on the professional level but is a professional coach, uh, Obviously, Coach Lou Colon from New Jersey here, he's exceptional. Um, he's kind of like what got me started in, in, in the social media platform. Like I saw the work that he was doing, and I've always kind of done stuff on the side, but seeing what he does to the level that he does it kind of motivated me to get, get myself going. And I think Coach Jay Pryor, who's also with the Braves, he does exceptional stuff. I think the way he articulates his message and the way he communicates and his energy I mean, it's just contagious. So, I mean, those are five right there that I go 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 to all the time. I mean, there's a couple other ones. I mean, there's other great ones out there that you kind of pick and choose uh, what works, what doesn't work. And ultimately, it's going to come down to the player that you're working with. So, like, you may have a thousand ideas, but then you need to look at the player that you're working with to really see what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Do they get the same terminology that everybody else gets, or do you need to spin it off in another way? You know, so... I 
I think you brought up a great point. I like I said, I I follow you. I love the page that you have. I love the stuff that you you uh, you put out there. I as a baseball coach, consistently sending guys things that you post um, that works for them, right? Like, hey, this guy kind of maybe you know he doesn't follow through on on that that ground ball or he doesn't stick and stay or whatever it may be. Um, you know, it's it's something that I think you have a lot of content. It helps these players, and if you really want to get uh, you know, better at your craft. That it's a, it's a must follow. It really is. Yeah, I and that. yeah, I I want to talk about also what the network of coaches are, and how not only with your audience size, but in your experience and you coming up in baseball and softball, what has that network of coaches been? Because a lot of kids don't understand that coaches do talk to one another, and it's <laughs> it's not just a one sided thing. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just talking to one of my colleagues about about just that. Like, social media has obviously broadened that network, but like within the the community here in New Jersey, you if you're in the game long enough, you're gonna bump into people who then have shared other interests with other people or other players, and it's like, oh, I see that you're working with this person. What could you tell me about them? Or like, even some of the college coaches that I've been able to communicate with. The one thing I will say about the social media platform and the, like the coaching community is everybody's super receptive and everybody's looking to lend a helping hand. Like if you reach out to somebody, I'd say 95 or 98% of the time, you're getting some sort of feedback. You know, it may not be like full detail, but if you have an idea of the concept, you can take it for what it is and apply it in what works for you as the coach. You know, so like as, as a younger coach, I mean, I'm 33 in age, so... I'm on the younger side. I'm somewhere in between. Like, you're, you're always doing research and looking at new stuff and seeing what works for you and then how you can apply it. Like, nobody really originates with the idea. Like, somebody got a concept from somewhere and then put their own little twist on it. And then somebody else saw that, took it and put their own little twist on it. And it's just like you're just passing along information to help each other get a little bit better. And everybody communicates a little bit differently. Like the one thing that I think I'm different in is I'm super energetic with what I'm doing. Like I think players feed off the energy that I bring every day, which I think helps me a lot. While some people are kind of like calm, cool, collected, and people feed off of the way they present information. You know, so it's just a matter of what are you good at and how can you take the information that you learn and then apply it. So, I mean... The coaching community is you always got to be your best. <laughs> you know, if you're a player. Absolutely, yeah. You always have to be putting your best foot forward because, one, you never know who's watching, uh, whether it be the coach that you're working with or people in the surrounding areas. And understand that people talk to one another if they're truly interested in what and who you are. So represent now, yourself the way you want to be seen. Absolutely, 100%. I, I want to bring, you know, this – this this platform that we do and, and this podcast is really about development and, and having these players understand, you know, what, what it's going to take to play at that next level. As somebody who's been doing this and training people and, and really came into that niche market, what do you see as maybe the biggest weakness a younger player may have or some weaknesses that you see, um, you know, maybe out of some high school players? I find that the one thing that a lot of players struggle with is the individual practice. Like they don't go and practice on their own. I'm, you guys can probably speak to it the same way I can. Growing up, like my father was super involved with, with my athletic career. So like 
there was no individual coaches. Like you didn't go to a hitting coach. You didn't go to a fielding coach. Like he just took me out to the park and hit me ground balls over and over and over again. And we went to the cage and he fed me and, and threw to me over and over and over again. Now I feel like they have so many different things going on, whether it be their cell phone, whether it be YouTube, whether it be four or five different activities that they're involved. Like they miss the opportunity to just go out and practice on their own, like throw the ball off the wall and just catch it a hundred times without really even thinking that they're practicing their, their catch and transition to throw. You know, it's just that, that time away from your quote unquote, like team practice that I think a lot of people are missing. And I find with like that middle age, like the average player doesn't really like, doesn't really love or gravitate towards like the breakdown drills. Like they just want you to hit them ground balls or feed them ground balls off the machine and let them see like the full range, but they don't really want to dive into maybe an area of weakness or an area that needs improvement. And you're just talking about like the average, you're not talking about like the 5% that have that dream of playing professionally. It's like the majority of players just want to play the game. They just want to get fungos off the bat. They just want to take live batting practice on the field. And I think that, if I'm a player now growing up with the resources that are now available, like I would be super focused on the little things, you know, like, is it the glove presentation? Is it what you do after you catch it from transitioning from catch to throw? Is it my footwork on the catch? Like there's so much out there now that wasn't available as easily that I think it, w- it should be helping this next wave of players as they come through. It's like, um, it's like a tough middle ground. Like you, the, between the two, like balancing the two, like players need game reps and they need the live reps off the bat, but they also need a hundred touches on a routine ball hit right at them, where the, whether they're picking, they're pressing, or they're receiving that hop, you know, and then what's the footwork pattern after you've made that glove action, you know? So it's just finding that balance that meets the player's needs. Yeah. You have a lot of content on, on social that is just straight fundamentals where you're doing your one-on-ones and you have someone for five, 10, 15 minutes straight working on a single drill that you're trying to hone in on. And of course that could be because those are the one-on-one sessions. So, you know, you're doing a lot more of the due diligence with them. But even when you have a team that you're working with, I know that the team that you coach, you know, you are doing those fundamental drills with. Are you, do you think that a lot of coaches are neglecting the fundamentals like you said, and just going straight into, hey, let's do all this fungal work. Let's do all the live BP. Let's just get all the game reps. And then in game, they don't see the results that they think they got because they didn't practice the fundamentals. Uh, I don't, that, that's a great question. I think that, I don't think it's neglected on purpose. Like I think everybody understands the value of the fundamental skills. What people don't see is the time and effort that goes into learning how to teach it. You know, like there's a lot of research, there's a lot of studying, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of watching that goes into learning specific skills that then maybe only be a 12 minute part of practice where not everybody has the time or wants to invest the time to to learn that knowledge. So like when they go out to practice, the easiest thing to do is, all right, let's set up multiple infield and get 15 or 20 minutes of ground ball reps instead of saying, all right, well, we really struggled on balls to the right. Let's work on these five different plays on how you can catch a ball to the right. It's like, okay, let's take this off an open backhand. Let's take it off a closed backhand, or let's come get it on the run. Not necessarily positioning your players to feel what that is. 
because my belief is like the player needs to feel what they're doing so that when the lights turn on and the game is on, it's just second nature. Like they're not thinking about the mechanics because they've done it so much over and over and over again. But if players don't know what it is that they're doing, it's tough for them to replicate it over and over and over again. Now, you're a big ambassador for, for VIA gloves, training gloves. I'm a huge advocate for uh, VIA training gloves. I think that they're um, maybe the best gloves for, for training purposes. Um, I may be biased, though. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about, about you know, I know you're, you, you went to the ACBA with them. You, you do a lot for them. Um, you know, speak, on, speak about their, their training gloves and what, what you feel uh, makes them different than others. Yeah, I mean the Valley, the Valley brand. I mean it's it, it's known for the white glove, like that's what catches your eye initially, which is what separates them from the rest. Uh, I just the one thing I was just, I think I love about them so much is how many different options you have based on what it is that you're looking for. So like if you looked on their site or you looked at their line, like they have a little bit of everything for everybody. So what made them or, or one of their their key products is their their Eagle KK which is like that pliable, like if you looked at it, you'd think it's a traditional pancake glove, but it has the pliability or the flexibility that gives you your game glove feel so that you can do your one-handed plays, single lane, a backhanded play, a reach or a press, however you want to refer to it, and you can still get one-handed work where you're not locked into having to catch every ball with two hands like your traditional pancake glove. And then once you go from there, they just came out with the new K47, which I'm, I'm biased. That's my favorite. It's a seven-inch training glove that has the loose leather, so it feels like the Eagle KK, where it doesn't take much time to break in, and it's almost ready once it comes out of the wrapper, whereas their other gloves are just, they're like game glove leather, and they come out, and it takes a little bit of break-in time. So, I mean, they have the, the flat gloves to a seven-inch glove to an eight-inch glove that's regular or an eight-inch glove that's weighted. Then they have their nine, nine and three-quarters then they have first baseman trainers. I mean, they have literally ev anything for everybody uh, on their line. So, I mean, I don't know. I just think, I think that the player dictates which glove we use. You know, like some of my older players, like I'll throw the bag out and I'll say, pick, pick your weapon for today. Like pick what you want to use. For some of the younger players, like if I'm working with a nine-year-old, a nine-inch training glove is probably the size of like what their game glove should be. But they're walking yeah. around with like an 11 and a half inch glove that, that falls off their hand and they can't even control or secure the catch. So like I'll start them on the smaller glove so that they get a really good concept of their pocket and, and their catch spot. And they're super aware of their pocket presentation. And then I'll let them progress to the bigger gloves as we go. I mean, as a teacher, everything I do is, is in some way, shape or form progressive. Some people like it and some people don't. It's just the way my brain works. Like I just have a hard time going and doing like here, do it. Now let's go do it. Like, so like, I'm like a step-by-step -step. may just be the way my brain works. Yeah. But, and go ahead. I was going to say, when a kid comes to you for that first time or their first lesson with you, what's step one that you're running through with them? I think the first thing is like, I need to have an idea of, of what they feel their strengths and weaknesses are, you know, because a kid's going to say, I do this really well. I do this really, really well. And we're talking like, somewhere between like nine and 12, nine and 13, where they think they're exceptional in, in a lot of things, which is good. They should feel confident about their ability. But as a coach, like you want to see where they're at. Like if they say my backhand, I don't use, then you know that they have no concept of how to approach a backhand, how to field the backhand, how to exchange it, 
So that can be an area that spends a lot of time. Doesn't mean you don't do the other stuff, but you know that that's an area that they need a lot of confidence in to help build them. So the first thing, it's a conversation. Like they'll come, we'll talk for a couple minutes. And then I have a, a little sheet that I kind of follow. It's like you call it an assessment to see where they're at. Like I have some foundational drills that I'll do. And it gives me a clearer picture of where they're at in terms of how I like to progress things. And then we'll go to the, some reps at the end where they're getting balls off a machine or off a bat. And that kind of helps me plan, assuming that they want to come out. Like I always have every conversation is, I hope you want to come back, but I'm not going to be upset if you choose not to. Because the way I do things is not everybody likes it. And I don't want people to think it's, they need to like the way that I'm doing things. It's just what I feel is beneficial to them and how I'd like to coach it. Yeah, it's probably because you're real, right? Like you're 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 telling it how it really is. I feel like so many coaches, you know, no offense to if you're if you're a, uh, you know, private hitting hitting coach or things like that, but some of the coaches that I deal with, um, you know, they're very yes men. Like, oh man, you're doing great, and it's like, no, he's not. Like his shoulders flying open. Like that is not great. Be real with with the players. Like, yeah, they might not come back, but at the end of the day, you're you're there to help them. Yeah. You know, and, and I get it for some people, they're, they're paying their mortgage or they're, they're doing, uh, you know, doing these lessons to, you know, pay the bills, but it's still frustrating. And I'm sure you've seen it as well, where like people just don't want to just tell it how it is. And, and, oh man, it drives me up a wall when you see this player that's really talented, really good, but you know, he has some holes and there's some flaws in, in, in the swing or in, you know, in the glove work and they're just not being told the truth. It's, oh, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. I think I like, think there's a fine, find I think somebody there's a that absolutely, but players need to find somebody that is going to tell them the truth. Yeah, you know, it's okay if they hurt your feelings for for five minutes. It's <laughs> only to make you better. Yeah, so. I think it's a fine line between boosting the players' confidence and having them truly understand what it is that they're doing right and doing wrong. Like you can articulate a message of of a player having a front side flying open. Like, can you identify what you did wrong there, and tell me what you felt? Because then I'm going to tell you what I see. Like, it's Absolutely. not like, hey, you, you need to do this this way because if they don't feel it, then they're not going to necessarily believe what it is that you're telling them. So tell me what 100%. you felt. I'm going to tell you what I see. And this is what I think we need to do to kind of move, move in the direction of improving that. And it's the same thing with fielding. Like, if, if we're working on a backhanded play and I'll roll something really hard and I feel that they should field the ball off their left foot, but they line up their right foot behind it, but they fall over trying to make the throw... I'll say like, hey, what did you feel on that? What could you do differently? And if they give me an answer that I think I agree with, I'll be like, all right, that's a great job. Now let's try it this way. If they give me an answer that they don't really understand what I'm feeling for, let's do five or six more like that and see if you can feel what it is that we're looking to try to get out of that movement. So I try yeah, to put the onus right. on them where I, like, I want them to take ownership for it and be able to say like, hey, this is what I need to do so that they can go out and do it. And that's why you're a great coach. And that's why people, people go to you. <laughs> No, it's it's I the truth. That. Now, you know, we're on the West Coast. We don't really deal with with bad weather. I mean, it's rained like five days this year. It's been horrible, horrible amount of rain. Um, but on the East Coast, you know, you deal with a lot of cold weather indoors, at home, you know, situations for these players. Can you give us a couple, maybe three of your favorite drills some players can just do by themselves when they're at home? Um, yeah. You know, ball, you know, throw the ball against the wall. Or, or things like that that you feel could really benefit, you know, these younger players that, 
uh, still want to get their work in, but might not have a facility to go to or a field to be at. Yeah. I mean, the first thing, I mean, we all did it growing up is you play wall ball. I mean, you find a tennis ball and you get a wall and you can throw the ball off the wall and you can work on catching the ball with two hands right at you. You can work on creating some space for a long hop. So every, every group session that I finish, I always tell them that you don't need much to get yourself a little bit better. You know, if you have parents that are invested in what you're doing, let them roll you the ball so you can have that parent player connection about more than just what you did in the game. But if you don't, or your parents aren't around as much, take a ball, throw it off the wall and then focus on what it is that you're doing. So my, my feeling is that players need to understand the three different lanes that they want to catch the ball in. You know, they need to be able to catch the ball with two hands. They need to be able to catch a ball on their glove side. They need to be able to catch the ball off their back end. So if you're going to throw the ball off the wall, try to go for a number in a row. See if you can get 10 in a row, two hands, catching it and throwing it off the wall. You know, that's one drill that you can do every day and get 100, 150 reps, no problem. Now, not only are you working on catching it, but now in order to get the bounce that you want, you need to be precise on where you're throwing it. So now I'm catching it and throwing it with precision and focus with what I'm, that I'm doing because if I don't hit the same spot, I'm not going to get the same bounce. Is it going to roll to me? Is it going to be a short hop? Is it going to be a long hop? Is it going to take four or five bounces? Like, there's, that's, that's a two-sided drill that you're getting and you don't even think about it. The other one is I think they need to do some hand-eye coordination. So a couple of things. You can try to learn how to juggle. You know, go on YouTube and find a how to juggle video and just learn how to juggle. Start with two balls, which really isn't juggling, but it's a start. Then see if you can add the third ball. If you don't want to do that and you want to make it more sport specific, juggle off the wall. You know, take two tennis balls, throw it, transfer, and see if you can work your hand-eye coordination just by throwing the ball off the wall. I think that the hand-eye coordination is so laxed and so, like, missed because of how much time they spend with their thumbs playing on video games and playing on their phones, and they're missing their, their regular hand-eye coordination. And the third isn't necessarily baseball or softball specific. I just think they need to learn how to jump rope. I mean, I've, I've started bringing jump ropes out to the workouts just as like a warm-up. Like, let's see if we can jump rope for two and a half or three minutes. And to watch players of all ages struggle with that, it's just mind-blowing to me because as a kid, like, that's what you did. You went, you jumped rope, you played four square, you went on the playground, you jumped, you ran. And some of those things are missed now because of the access to technology and they don't need to go outside to get stimulated. They can do it right from the confines of their own couch. You know, we didn't have that luxury growing up. Like if you wanted to play with somebody, you had to go walk next door, knock on the door and say, Hey, Mrs. So-and-so, can they come out and play? You know, or like, yeah. Hey, we're going to meet at four o'clock. Let's go play stickball. It's just, it's just not there. So, I mean, those are three basic drills that require nothing. Like if you wanted to make it more sports specific, you can start on your knees and just work your hands then you can step back and just work on timing up your glove foot and the catch. And then you can back up a little bit more and you can focus on the right left or your last two steps before you catch. And then if you really want to do advances from there, you can transition into a throw. And now I'm using my different footwork patterns to throw the ball off the wall. Yeah, it's great. You know? I'm so. curious on what your philosophy is for going to a realistic college selection right? Where you have a lot of these kids and, and you mentioned it, like they are lacking technology in some of these areas or whether you guys are just straight indoor facilities and some kids just want to go to the D1 that has all the fancy tech, that has all the hit tracks, that has everything accessible for them at their fingertips. 
but that might not be the best option for them because they're going to ride pine. They're not going to see the playing field for three to four years. And at that point, you might even redshirt because now you're just wasting time and wasting your potential and you're not developing on the field. So what's your philosophy on having a kid select a realistic college for their skill set? I think the first thing I was just talking to one of our students about this is you have to identify what it is that you want. Like, what do you want out of your college experience? Do you want to play or do you want to go somewhere where you can wear a a division one name on your on your on your shirt? You know, because unless you're in that one percent, the chance of you coming on as a freshman and playing may be very slim. It's going to involve a lot of practice, maybe a red shirt. Um, But. Unless you're in that top 10% that have a chance to play professionally, you need to find what life after sports is going to be like. You know, like a player like me, like if you looked at my playing resume, you probably wouldn't be overly impressed with what I did as a player. And it's at no fault of anything. It's just some things you're gifted with and some things you're not. You know, I'm five foot ten in height and I wasn't the fastest or the strongest when I was playing. So like I went to a community college and then I went to a small division three school. Like it's... I wanted, knew I wanted to study health and phys ed and I wasn't willing to sacrifice playing for the pursuit of that degree. You know, I think that you need to identify what's most important for you as a 17 year old and then what's most, what's going to be most important for you as a 21 or 22 year old when you get out, you know, and I think as a, a 17, 16, 17, 18 year old to make that important of a decision is very challenging and, and it, you need a very good support system to go that. So like if you fall in that category where it's division one or bust, that's okay. But the players at division two and division three, they play at a very high level. It's just, they have a love for the game that they're not willing to give up until their time is done. You know, I think division two, II, division three athletes truly love the game and they are not ready to give it up instead of in pursuit of a division one place. And I, that's incredible. Like college coaches, it's their job to find the best players. Now you position yourself by playing on a good team, getting in front of the right people. But if you're a division one player, truly chances are there's not many division one coaches that are going to be missing you, whether it be that coaching community that we talked about at the beginning. Like if you're a division one player, maybe you're not a, I'm from Jersey. So maybe you're not a Rutgers level player, but the Rutgers coach likes you. He may pick up the phone and call somebody else and say, hey, there's somebody here in New Jersey. I think you should give them a look for your level of Division I play. You know, like that's where the coaching community is super small, where that's their job. Their job is to find the best players that fit their program, that help them sustain their life. So, I mean, as the player, identify what it is that you want. I love the game, which is why I'm still in the game. You know, like if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have pursued the, the, the educational field that I went into and I wouldn't have went into the training aspect that I've gone into. Like I just truly love the game. I can talk the game at any time with anybody. <laughs> you know, you just have to love it if you're going to play at one of those lower levels and only you as the individual can decide that. I thought you brought up a great point in the sense that you knew exactly what you wanted to do. You know, you wanted to be a, you know, get into phys ed and, and do that stuff and and that's another avenue for these players to understand that, yes, we, we all want to play pro baseball. I think that's, that's everyone's goal. But you're still getting an education, and you're still going to get you know, an opportunity to, to pursue a, another dream, right? Whether that's in baseball or, or you know, hey, providing for a family or providing for, you know, for yourself you know, and, and things like that. 
Um, I, I love, I love the, the philosophy that you, you brought up. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like if you're playing D2, Juco, D3, NAIA, it, it, it's a different love. It's a different passion because, you know, we don't have the fancy sponsors and you don't have, you know, those, those Friday night games, you know, with, with the, you know, 5,000 people, you know, barbecuing and tailgating. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're in Wheeling, West Virginia in, in the middle of, of nowhere. Um, I love Wheeling. Don't, don't think that that's, uh, you know, I think it's a great spot, but, um, you know, you're, you're at, you're at schools that just don't get, you know, the amount of, uh, the crowds or, or the money that, that you would think other programs get. And, and the passion is I went to D2. Uh, I thought I was extremely prepared, uh, moving on to the next level. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely was, um, it definitely was a great, great atmosphere and, and, and the passion is there, obviously. My, my follow up to the, to your point is what advice would you give that kid? Obviously you want you want you're, you're a guy that's same with us. Hey, go play, go, go be somewhere and go play the game. Um, what philosophy or excuse me, what advice would you give, um, a player that, that might be on the bubble? I, I think they just, what would I give them? I'd say, think about it. Don't make a decision. Don't say you're not, you shouldn't be a hundred percent one way or the other. Like you shouldn't be on playing division one baseball or I'm not playing at all because you may fall in love with a coach. You may fall in love with a campus. You may fall in love with a program that is division two or division three. You're like, Oh, Hey, maybe I do want to pursue this. You know, you need to keep your options open because you never know what's going to come knocking. Like you may go to a division one place and not be happy. And then find yourself at a division three the next fall and be like, man, why didn't I do this last year? Like you need to be open-minded because life changes every day. Like what you have today, you may not have tomorrow, you know, and what you have tomorrow, you may not have a month from now. Like you need to be open-minded to what it is that you're doing. And some of the players that I've coached, like they had that I'm playing division one, I'm playing division one, I'm playing division one. And then they got to a point where they were a late junior or an early senior and they're like, I haven't had any offers yet. Maybe, maybe I'm not going that avenue. Let me circle back to see if there's another place that I can continue to go. And if a college coach is, is expressing interest by having a conversation with you, be all ears. Listen. Go see campus. Go talk to the kids on the team and see what it's all about. Like, Don't be set on one street and, and don't waver from that because you never know who you're going to meet, when you're going to meet them, and where you're going to meet them. So have the conversation. Go visit the campus. And make the most of your playing opportunities because it goes too fast. As a phys ed teacher now, 33 years, what I would do to go back to be a 17-year-old in high school again, oh man, I would, I would do so many things differently in terms of where, where, where things went. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. I think well, all right, Coach, uh, we, got, we got one more thing for you, which is our sure. last three outs. Uh, we do this with everybody. So what's your favorite food? Oh, I love pizza. Pizza guy. Yeah, I love pizza. Love I can eat pizza every meal of every day, and I probably <laughs> shouldn't, but I can. Yeah. What goes on the pizza? Oh, it depends on where I'm at. Like, if if there's some places here in New Jersey where you could just go with like a, a like a thick square pie, but then there's places mm. where you want to go with like a buffalo chicken pizza. I have a place that's right around the corner from me where they call it the triple threat, and it's it's half calzone with garlic knots as the crust of the calzone, and then half pizza which I think is incredible, which it's in walking distance from my house. So it's not good, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's it. Pizza for sure. 
What's your uh, favorite movie? Well, that's a tough choice. Does it have to be a sports movie or just any movie? No, any movie. Any movie, man. Oh, any movie. I think that the Adam Sandler movies, when he was in, a, in that prime where he came out with like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, <laughs> Big Daddy, like that stretch of Adam Sandler movies, I think I can watch at any time. If you're talking a sports movie, probably Coach Carter. I like Coach Carter. I think that Samuel L. Jackson does a great job as somebody that's in the coaching shoes now, like showing you what you aspire to be as a coach in terms of making an impact on your players. Yeah. And final one. Who is your favorite player, alive or dead, baseball player? Oh, man. I'm a Mets fan, so I want to say a Mets player, but I'm going to have to say Ken Griffey Jr. Growing up, I remember playing video games when they were just coming out, and he was on the cover of everything. He used to play with that stacked Mariners team with, yeah. with all those guys at Jay Buhner. Yeah, and, Nintendo 64 back yep, in the day. Yeah, I'd probably say Ken Griffey. I mean – Alex Rodriguez, when he was a shortstop on the Mariners, I used to like, like, Nomar Garcia-Para, Derek Jeter. Like, those are the guys that I grew up watching. Uh, now I could watch Francisco Lindor play defense all day. I like yeah. Brandon Crawford. I like the way he plays. I mean, everybody has their own little thing that I like about him, you know? So but that's a good question. I like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Coach. Coach, we appreciate it. Everything you're doing, keep it up. It's, it's great stuff. Um, Man, if you're not following him, you got to follow him. He, he's, he's really changing it, and, and it's, it's some great content. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the support, and if there's anything I can do for anybody out there, let me know. I'm happy to help. That's why I'm here. Hey, everybody. This is Coach Steinman. Go check out the Baseball Playground. Like, subscribe. Check them out. They're doing great things in the baseball world.